Hello and welcome to our FIS podcast, Castaway, keeping you in the know on the shipping and commodity world where we're all at home quarantined. We know that the working and business has changed dramatically in the past couple of months, so developing a range of resources to help keep you up to date on everything happening. If you'd like to find out more, you can visit our website, www.freightinvestorservices.com, or follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. FIS is fully functional. Every broker, every office, and every team is ready to help you with pricing, research, and operational assistance. Hello and welcome back again to Castaway, our podcast. We have returning uh, Alex, our MD of strategy, uh, Kerry from home again, our head of business development, and Tom again, all the way from Singapore. Hello, guys. Hi, Good Chris. Morning. And to start off, Kerry, we have the announcement of some uh, interesting new news. What have we got in the pipeline coming out? I do. I do. Uh, the FIS Live app project we have been working on for some time uh, and we've been consulting with a lot of our clients on is finally ready for launch. Uh, this is an app that's going to give real-time live pricing across all our products straight from our broken floor. You will also be able to get historical price charting, technical analysis of those historical price charts, and a feed of constant news and commentary from all of our brokers and our analysts in Shanghai, Singapore, and London. Uh, it will be a lot like a mini Bloomberg for our particular markets. Uh, and, you know, I think it's something a lot of people have been asking for, especially since COVID broke. Um, and that's great. Tried, what markets yeah. can we get on this, Gary? You're going to be able to see dry freight, wet freight, fuel oil, iron ore, coking coal, steel and scrap, base metals, and fertilizers to start with. We will be adding in air freight shortly as well. And the aim here is really to allow people to work from wherever they are. They will even be able to set price alerts. So if you have a bid or an offer target, you can set up your mobile app to send you a text message as soon as the, uh, the market moves your way. And I can already hear people scrambling to get this app. How would we get that? It's very, very easy. Head to our website, uh, freightinvestorservices.com. And you will see the FIS Live tab at the top of the website. Click on that. It has all the information you need and a link to go ahead and register. All existing FIS customers will get a three-month free trial. Brilliant. Thank you for that, Kerry. So let's look at the macro picture. Let's start with you, Alex. And um, what we're seeing in terms of uh, Europe at the moment, we're seeing a little bit more positive attitude, a little more po positive picture. It does feel like the positivity is ebbing back in, albeit very cautiously. Um, even on social media, you're seeing how people are celebrating their newfound uh, freedom, you know, as much as it's been um, curtailed. But people are getting back into the spirit of embracing life and the community. And I think that's ebbing upwards into, you know, the economic food chain. We're seeing stock markets gradually um, regaining uh, volume and traction on, on, on a rising price. How long it will last, um, I think, is, is, a, is a big question. We don't know how this virus will act or what the outcomes will be. So I think that's part of the tentativity, I, I believe is the correct word, that people are, are using when, when they're looking forward at what's going to happen. And Tom, to bring you in on this, uh, Singapore situation is not as rosy as it was a couple of weeks ago uh, since you've started your lockdown. Uh, uh, no, um, the, the, the situation is broadly similar to when we spoke last week. We're still having um, 
you know, reasonably high numbers of uh, new cases being reported in the the sort of migrant worker community in the dorms that we discussed. Um, they are those numbers are reducing. I think it's around seven hundred today. It was about a thousand today last week. Um, so the new cases are still going up. Interestingly, though, we still only had fifteen deaths in Singapore. So the death rate relative to um, a lot of other sort of developed economies that I suppose you could compare it to is very very low. Um, but there is still a sort of fear here that it will sort of uh, start to spread again. So we, we've had some talk of restrictions being slightly lifted uh, this week. So a few of the sort of businesses that were, were shut down two weeks ago, some of them are sort of allowed to start to open um, sort of consumer businesses, traditional Chinese medicine, some food, some a bit more retail uh, hairdressers. Um, so we're seeing signs of life in the economy, um, but but no major shift on policy here yet. And I guess China as well as leading this as it was the the start, the first epicenter of the of the virus. That's really starting to open up now, isn't it? Yes, seemingly so. And I think the the recovery we've been talking about for two or three weeks now does seem to be underway. Um, some of the markets we'll talk about later. Um, we've seen some some strong pickup there. Um, so it does suggest that there is sort of genuine signs of life in that Chinese economy. Um, but the obvious um, sort of breaks that are being put on that at the moment potentially is the sort of a new trade war being sparked between China and the US over where this virus actually came from with Trump ramping up the rhetoric on on sort of news that his uh, his election campaign might not be quite so straightforward in November as he had hoped <laughs> uh, and yeah, now pointing the finger at a, uh, a virus having escaped a, a facility in Wuhan and whilst his intelligence uh, agencies are sort of saying there's no conclusive evidence to back that up whatsoever. So the rhetoric is being wrapped up again. Um, so we sort of come out of one crisis or start to escape one crisis and head back into another economic one. Uh, so we'll see how that pans out. But he is talking yeah. aggressively of opening the economy up today, um, even if it will cost life. Um, so we'll see what happens, but spring, spring, springs of life, yes. But uh, I as guess Alex he, said, he is he is quite concerned about the economic. Uh, I guess a lot of people will vote with their wallets, or the thinking is that they will. But at least there's some good news from uh, the US as well, with California being one of the first US states looking at uh, relaxing the uh, the lockdown measures. Indeed, they've done a uh, better job of managing it than probably most of the other high population states, it has to be said. So uh, so that's a little bit positive. Uh, yeah, we, we can talk, uh, obviously, the positive bits of um, oil finally coming back up again a little bit later as well. But Kerry, let's, let's start with you. Iron ore, we're still range bound, same as we were talking about last week. Exactly. Uh, we're range bound and it continues to be very, very well supported, uh, which I think is a surprise to everyone, not just myself. Uh, it seems that the market has struggled all this time to move under $80. Uh, throughout this crisis, iron ore has been the one commodity that has just stayed steady to even slightly improved. Um, and there is no sign in the very short term that's going to change. Uh, I should say that the very high evacuation rate from the Chinese ports uh, of over 3 million tons a day uh, being consumed before Labor Day holiday began was probably an anomaly. That was mills restocking. And I think we can expect the port stocks in China themselves to start rebounding by the end of this month or latest in June. Um, 
as you say, there are signs of life in the Chinese economy. It's difficult to argue against that. Uh, the blast furnace utilization rate at the mills is already up to about 83% this week. Historically, the Q2 peak has been around 85%. So we're actually nearing the sort of historic ceiling for, for blast furnace utilization at this time of year. Uh, I think in terms of things to watch for, you probably want to look at the uh, EAF, the electric arc furnace utilization rate, which is much higher than in previous years. It's over 65% at the moment. Uh, that's because scrap prices have remained much lower than in previous years in eastern China. There seems to be a higher supply. Uh, that is competing with the blast furnace production. And of course, we still haven't really gotten rid of those finished steel inventories in China. They remain very, very high. Uh, I would think they're only going to start to get back to normal seasonal levels later this year, maybe August. Uh, the high level of steel production we're seeing right now may flash a warning sign in terms of margins for the mills. Uh, so in short, you know, it's difficult to see this move down very, very substantially in the very short term, but it's also difficult to see it remaining at this level in the back end of the year. Yeah, I guess it's quite miraculous, the strength of this market in the face of everything that's going on. I mean, you compare it to the oil market, which has slammed itself on the floor, broken through all records of uh, quickest fall, uh, and iron ore has just gone, yep, don't mind me, just can continue on where we are. <laughs> exactly. You know, and I think a lot of us ascribe that perhaps correctly, to sentiment um, and, and hopefulness uh, in, the, in the domestic Chinese market uh, when this all first started. However, you know, we have also seen a, a string of good luck in terms of uh, supply crunches uh, being caused by various interruptions, mainly weather-related, from, uh, from Brazil and Australia during Q1, which kept that price supported when it, it probably should have been a bit lower. And now with those mills rebounding in terms of production, it's, it's difficult to see in the very short term that this could, uh, this could see any sort of collapse. I think what we have to remember as well is that relative to other commodities um, where there's sort of more distributed supply and, and there's less of an ex, uh, export market to China, China imports about 70% of the world's iron ore um, and it can't get it. It, there is there's, there is very little internal production of iron ore for China. So the fact that Europe is idle at the moment, yes, it's obviously a knock on the global picture, but the big picture is that China is coming back online and came back online a while ago, really, or not a while ago, a couple of weeks ago, and, and that has been enough to prop up that price. Um, there is the, the, the European market relative to the Chinese market is broadly insignificant in import terms. Um, and that, that in comparison to other commodities where China is not so reliant on, on imports is, uh, is probably helping. Yeah. Exactly. It's quite a miraculous return. I mean, China's been offline a couple of months. You, it is the quickness that they've brought their things back online is, I guess, encouraging uh, for a lot of the rest of the world economy that hopefully that when things start to calm down, we're already seeing, as we talked about at the start, the the reduction of these lockdown measures, that a lot of these economies could bounce back fairly quickly. I know in the news this morning in the UK, they're saying that most firms are ready to be back up and running within three weeks. So some more positive news and uh, an example from mean, China can be quick. 
It was a Chinese holiday this weekend, just gone a long holiday. Uh, and speaking to our Chinese office this morning as they came back in, uh, no one was willing to travel that far, not not really prepared to get on, on planes. So the car travel was through the roof this weekend, apparently. And it, it, it was 12-hour car journeys to travel 30 kilometers outside of Shanghai. So people are, uh, people are definitely uh, getting back in the car and traveling again and, and trying to do normal things uh, on mass. I'm not sure you're giving much hope to the airlines. No. <laughs> but uh, talking about things getting back to normal, we've seen a rally up in the oil markets. So we've obviously had that drop down to levels. We talked about the negative pricing on the delivered WTI contract, but we're again back up again above $30 on Brent. So we're starting to see a bit more normality in the market. I don't know, Alex, if you wanted to discuss a bit of this or, or Tom on the oil markets. I know that you usually have a... A good view on this. What we're seeing in the oil markets now is is a bit more support for things. Is it sentiment or are there fundamentals at play here? I mean, the the whole storage issues. I think, as you put in internal communications at work here, Chris, that's going to sort of raise its head again. But I suspect maybe the retail clients or the sort of smaller size institutions are having an effect here, where they believe the economy is coming back, and as a result, they see the buying of Brent as a way to access that uh, sentiment. There's the long opens on the uh, on the financial contracts this this week and at the end of last week were uh, very 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 strong uh, on the futures contracts. There's there's definitely evidence of that, Alex. I think as well on the fundamental side, um, there is uh, demand coming back online, uh, albeit very very slow. Um, so I think people are sort of considering that April is the sort of nadir of uh, of the situation. Uh, albeit consumption will remain depressed for a while to come. But what we're seeing now from the supply side is that shut-ins are starting to happen. So producers are actually keeping uh, the oil in the ground rather than extracting it now. Um, so the supply side is 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 reacting now much more so than the sort of OPEC um the the OPEC deal that was agreed a couple of weeks back, uh, the 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 supply and demand is now dictating that it it it, it makes more sense to keep the oil in the ground uh, to extract at a later date. And I think what will happen now is you'll see um, you'll see the more efficient uh, oil producers and the more efficient. Uh, production sites from those producers will be kept online and the the less efficient producers like Canada uh, where it has to travel a long way uh, will will make some serious strategic decisions around which which sites to keep open um, so we'll see a significant drop off in supply on the shale side as well um, we're forecasting I think or not we but the the markets are forecasting a sort of almost three million barrel a day drop in shale uh, output this year which will uh, obviously have a big impact uh, and I think Goldman's announced today or yesterday that you know because of these shut-ins uh, and the supply sort of side reaction that we're now seeing they're, they're viewing not that we're out of the woods by any means uh, the 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 points that we've talked about last week uh, and a potential negative price again in June are, are still real. Uh, but Goldman's are saying that uh, there's maybe a more favourable picture for oil going into 2021 now and they're forecasting a $65 uh, barrel by the end of 2021. So uh, they are definitely viewing a normalisation of uh, oil demand. Um, yeah, and you're seeing that with... You're seeing that a lot of uh, U.S. companies are now coming out saying that they will be instituting those cuts. 
Texas oil company, oil group have said that they won't institute caps on certain things, but you are seeing that happen. And I think a lot of this sentiment is based in the fundamentals of what they're seeing. For example, what we've seen with the EIA data, where which was predicting you know, continued 15, 16 million barrel rises in US stock levels. And those have actually come in more like 10 and predicted this week to be 8.4. So it's more of a reaction of a, it's not quite as bad as we all thought it was going to be when everyone piled in and sold out of everything and we saw the negative pricing. You're seeing that support come back into the market. Uh, even with some of the news stories, you go onto the FT front page, you're seeing a lot more positive news coming out of things rather than it's the end of the world, Armageddon, oil's over. I think that's all true. <laughs> but you know, the, these prices that are being talked about for next year are, you know, they're driven by this supply supply shortage that will be created by shut-ins. It's not particularly quick to turn things back on. Uh, so that will sort of create supply shortages into next year. But that is hinged very heavily on a rebound in demand. And that demand might not necessarily be that forthcoming. I mean, if you look at what's being said about the aviation sector, people are saying that demand won't return to that until 2023, maybe best case. Uh, you see BA cutting 12,000 jobs saying it's not going to return to Heathrow, uh, sorry, to Gatwick. Uh, Virgin announced uh, yesterday or this morning uh, that they would exit Gatwick as well in the UK. Um, so big, big airlines uh, in the UK uh, are, are being impacted. Virgin Australia has gone into administration. So that demand isn't forecasted to come back anytime soon. <clears throat> On the driving side, uh, you know, people using their cars, going to work. Um, you know, if we all move into this new environment where people are working at home more, uh, that demand recovery from the fuel side isn't going to come back. And then if we talk about the climate impact and people looking at new ways of, of energy, as we discussed in a, in a couple of podcasts ago, you know, if, if the sort of demand now is for green energy and people are much less inclined to burn fossil fuels, then that demand that we're talking about that will be needed to, to drive oil prices higher is not necessarily going to be there. Um, so it's still a very, very uh, fragile situation for the oil complex, I would say. I see that we've uh, brought out doom and gloom, Tom, again on our uh, <laughs> Wednesday morning. I think I've been quite Wednesday balanced today. Time. I gave a positive, positive spin. Might, might get up to $65 in 2021 and then, you know, Let's not get too excited. Bring it back down. Oh, yeah. I don't think we're getting too excited. It's just the only, it's not as terrible. It's not the end of the world. But we were talking about air freight. Kerry, it's perfect time to bring you in talking about some of the air freight things. I mean, uh, Tom already alluded to some of the things that have been happening in the passenger side of things with a lot of staff being laid off. What are we seeing in terms of rates for air freight? Well, at the moment, they are still at or near historic highs. However, what we're seeing right now is that uh, we expect an, a bearish outlook, I would say, from July onwards is, is forming in the market. Uh, you know, we see that overall ex-China capacity has improved, um, actually because of so many air cargo airlines now serving that PPE market uh, from China to the Western countries. Um, and so the, the bearish outlook after July is based on, you know, a hopefully a slowdown of imports in that PPE equipment. Uh, this is driving interest for us on the, on the Q4 and the California 1 contracts uh, as people try to hedge. 
their exposures against a bearish expectation. Bear in mind as well that post-COVID, we may have a situation where air freight suddenly has to battle with container freight in terms of the mode of transport, because the very high price of air freight is going to be uh, set against a uh, rather slow to return demand side uh, for goods in Europe and North America, I think. Okay, thank you for that, Kerry. And then moving on to something, well, I mean, that air freight picture is obviously miserable in the future, but why don't we talk about a market that's miserable right now, and that is dry freight, especially capes. That's correct, isn't it? Good God, yeah. Um, another miserable week on the capes. The index fell 20% on the spot to uh, just over $6,200. Since we last spoke, uh, the June contract was hit even harder, falling about 22% uh, to 7,275 as of last printing. The back end of the capes is holding up a bit. The Q4 only fell by 7% in the past week. Um, But, you know, overall, this this aggressive drive down is, is being driven by the fact that a lot of the Brazil shipments that people had hinged their hopes on seem to be going out on Valley Max vessels, uh, not necessarily on Cape size vessels being chartered in. Uh, at the same time, what we've now seen, and I think people perhaps forgot to account for, is as the COVID crisis eases in the Asian shipyards, a huge number of ships that were in for scrubber fitting uh, have been released back to the markets. Um, in fact, we now think only around two and a half percent of the Cape fleet is idle, uh, a much lower percentage than we've seen in the past weeks. So this is purely a supply issue, uh, and, and it's driving those Cape prices aggressively lower. We had some hope. I think I mentioned last week that Vale's decision to scrap their older VLOCs, uh, would, uh, would reduce the fleet size a little bit, um, and help rates, but the fact was all of these vessels have been idle off Singapore and Malaysia for months now, and so that was already priced in. Um, the Panamax not looking quite as gloomy as the Cape. They are still certainly coming off. Uh, inquiry has eased from nearly all areas in the past week uh, as the pre-holiday rush died out after the Chinese Labor Day holidays. Uh, I would say with the activity so thin, it makes it difficult to call the, the direction one way or another. But uh, I don't see any basin that now looks strong enough to really drive those rates aggressively up, put it that way. Yeah, moving on to the, the wet freight market, that was something which had benefited quite a lot for the increase in supply and then the subsequent situation, which was similar to what happened in 2014 of pushing things to floating storage. We were talked about, I think it was two weeks ago, rates on the May contract had pushed above $40 per metric ton. I mean, I'm looking now at, TD3 rates in June at 10, just over $10. And that's it's incredible, cool. isn't it? Exactly. I mean, you, you do not want to be someone who's got shares in freight and Gatwick this morning. <laughs> no, no I think that's the message today. But moving on to uh, our speciality of this week. We started it last week, and we're going to again bring it back. We'll be doing a bit of research on a random market which some of us have heard of, but I'm sure most of us and those listening have never heard of. And I want no laughing when I announce the title of it. The market of the week is random length lumber. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. I'm quite glad that, that you brought this to the table. Um, I think it's an important one that we've got to look at and probably, you know, it gives us an indication of some elements of construction and, and where that's going at the moment. 
<laughs> well, uh, <laughs> that was the most mature response I could have expected from that. But, exactly. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Um, Empty of strategy yeah. and immaturity. <laughs> <laughs> but to this, be honest, this... the, the commodity itself sounds like something that if I typed it into Google, it would give me some very worrying results. Yeah, that's if you get take off the uh, filter that we have in company. But uh, some background on, on that market. The North American lumber market is valued around about $10 billion. And it was wow. in the same year we went to the moon, the, the first exchange to offer forest products was CME. It's physically delivered every other month. So the, yeah, as Alex said, it's a physically delivered, physically delivered contract, uh, which is of random lengths of eight foot to twenty foot two by four inch pieces. Uh, of one hundred ten thousand board feet is the the unit that's traded in, and it's primarily western spruce pine. Uh, the mills which uh, create this product are located in Oregon, Washington, Idaho, Wyoming, Montana, Nevada, California, and in Canada provinces of British Columbia and Alberta. Does it correlate with any other known markets or any other perhaps more liquid markets? I haven't the time or the... <laughs> done such in-depth analysis of the uh, the lumber market, but I do know that the moisture level must be below 19%. Right. So they use a kiln to dry out this wood before it goes uh, and is delivered. Um, and, and, and what are the prices like or the tick sizes for that matter? The tick size is in 10 cent. Uh, and okay. current prices, where we are moving up in the market, but it is actually uh, a backward-dated market from July. Okay. So uh, July settled at 338.60, and we are backward-dated into the rest of, of the year. But as Alex said, it's, this settles or is delivered every other month, starting from January. So January, March, May, July, September, November. And is the, is the data for that free or is it pay per view? I think if you want some data, <laughs> I was waiting for that. you're going to have to get a premium subscription uh, to be able to see, uh, you know, high definition on, on the market. Uh, but yes, a, an interesting one. And there are maximums to the percentage, well, percentages to the lengths of wood. So I don't know if anyone wants to give a, a size of in feet between 8 and 20. And I can give you the percentage of the, of the delivered amount that you're allowed to have a 12 foot 12 foot you're allowed 10 to 20 percent interesting uh, learn something new every day and the, the largest percentage uh, is that of 16 feet which is 35 to 60 percent band so if you're looking to hedge random lengths of wood then uh, we have given you a starter of information on where you can be able to do that <laughs> excellent so we've moved from cheese to wood, and who knows what we're going to have next week. But as uh, we look out on a very sunny London lunchtime, I don't know if there's any last points from people before we wrap up for today. Uh, nothing for me. No, no I think we've covered it all. Thanks. Good. So thank you very much, guys, for joining me again. And another shout out for the FIS Live app. Follow, uh, go into our website. You'll be able to download that. Any other problems, do email us as Kerry said, a three-month free subscription to anyone who is currently a customer of FIS. And we will go from there. Hopefully, you'll join us again for next week and you've enjoyed our random market of the week. And you can now tell all your friends about the wood market uh, in North America. But that's us done for this Wednesday, the 6th of May. Uh, join us again next week. Thank you. Thanks very much.